I've been told that for a podcast to be successful, it has to be uh, consistent in that it needs to be on or available every day. And uh, preferably at some predictable time. So my porch stays shady till about two o'clock in the afternoon. So sometime between six o'clock in the morning and two o'clock in the afternoon, every day I'm going to sit down and say something that I hope encourages someone to imagine that we live in the future where we are not isolated. We're not the last person in our tribe. We are not disputing about whether a man is a male or a female. Here in my dominion, we refer to the separation being that of a wombed man or an unwombed man. And they're both men. And they both have the ability to do unique things because of their unique physical makeup, which determines their unique mental makeup, which determines their unique spiritual makeup. But it's all as uniquely that one single person, that one single wombed or unwombed man, verifiable by so many little locks and keys that we have on our physical being, that we have in our voice print, the vibrations that come from our voices, the iris projection from our eyes, what is seen inside the back of our eyeball through a robotic eyeball that makes us uniquely us, each and every one of us, from cradle to the grave. But it's really from conception to the grave and beyond. The beyond part is where everything always gets freaky for people because we are mortal and we are determined to die And some of us are determined to do it in a way that no life can survive. And I am determined to say that is not so. The good news is that forever begins when you believe in forever at all, finally, when you sit down, here you can sit down with me on my porch, it's a beautiful day, you can hear, I don't know how this microphone works, but there, there's a California morning dove sitting in a, a cypress tree of some sort that's growing on the north side of my property, and I can hear him or her can't tell, you know, with the morning dove from this distance. 
but I've got uh, some yellow and black Orioles that come by here. And at a glance, you know, that's the one that carries the eggs. And that's the one that finds the food. The one that finds the food is also the one who leads any predators away from the one who carries the eggs and lays the eggs and sits on the eggs. This brightly feathered male, his job is to lead the predators away from the female. And with little tiny low-flying birds like quail, I've only seen it happen with quail, but perhaps it happens with other birds. But I was walking along a trail, basically my backyard is the, named after some president, I can't remember who, Cleveland, Grover Cleveland. What did he do? What did he do? You know, from my grandfather's point of view, we'll get back to that later, we'll talk about what Grover Cleveland and the men he worked for did that affected my family and yours, if you're still on the planet at this point, upon this time when this story is being told once once upon a time I decided that I was actually called to be a carrier of the message that was once carried by angels and I don't know exactly how I came into this inheritance so I began to examine what it was that I inherited <clears throat> if I accepted the fact that I had been adopted into the family of God simply by expressing my, yeah, I agree that all the evidence seems to indicate. In fact, since it is evidence that I saw myself, it does indicate that Jesus the Christ as spoken of in all the places where they speak of Jesus the Christ, is actually Yahweh Jehovah, the God of the Jews, who is the God of the whole earth, who scans the heavens and says, I see no other God. I can see as far as can be seen, and I see no one else, but I am. And that was pretty much the beginning of this story. You know, the realization of God Almighty. God Almighty's realization. And that goes all the way up to John, to whom Jesus gave his revelation. He revealed the plan. Hey, check it out, John. Good news. 
good news. It worked. Remember, I was on the cross. I, I was hanging there. You were. I told you about taking care of Mary and all that. I was hanging there on the cross, and I just knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, it is finished. And I just couldn't help myself. I said it right out loud. It is finished. And you know, what happened after that? You guys just don't have the perspective to be able to see past the vanishing point on the horizon. But let me tell you, I think Marshall McLuhan was right. The messenger and the message and the medium which conveys the message. That has all changed forever. We, Adam kind, we uh, adopted sons into that line. <clears throat> There was a last Adam, but he had a lot of nephews, and they all got adopted into the family. I guess is how it happened. Anyway, there's laws that have been laws since forever that say once a owner or preserver or person responsible for a particular, possibly peculiar domain, once that person adopts a child, that child may never be disinherited. Now that's a law in lots and lots of places. I learned it in Arizona when I adopted my son Lewis, my Australian-born son Lewis, who has brought so much interesting time into my life, linking back to very, very, very deep time beyond what the white man imagines is called a dream. Time. I first told this story to Lewis, <laughs> probably many of his opinions of me are based on the fact that I told him this story. But that's okay because the story remains that the message that I carry is the message that I bear, and I've crossed that bridge. The cross that I took up to follow him, my cross, my cross never did involve anything more than my accepting the fact That patience takes time. Suffer it to be so. Suffering does not promise pain. 
Suffering does not promise agony, frustration, and final despair. Suffering is... Just let it be. Let it... This is the way it is. You know, there's a, a, a cliche that's drifting around my level of American consciousness where people are saying over and over, it is what it is. It is what it is. That's a fact. It is what it is. It doesn't matter if you say it a billion times. It's not going to change it. Life ain't fair. If things could not get out of balance, there would be motion only in one direction, I imagine. Things would appear like a as if a clock was actually a two-dimensional thing that you're watching on a screen. See, for the past hundred years, mankind has been uh, looking through windows upon which were painted moving images in light. But they weren't looking through those windows. They didn't know how. Until the animators and the fellows with the movie cameras and the guys who invented things like the Steadicam and those dollies that ran on rails so we could get those zooming close-ups using analog techniques. And now we're three generations past that. If I take into account that in 1920 my grandmother told me she was ditching Sunday school and taking the money that she had been given to put in the plate and she was going to the movies. That was like 1919, 1920. So since then, minimum, the bearers of the mitochondrial DNA in my life have been able to see a perspective on life that no generation before them was able to ever see. So it's natural that by the time I'm 70, I see the world as a movie. And I understand that I am, to some degree, the projector of this movie on the parts upon which you and I agree we are in something akin to stereo morpho genesis lock we are thinking the same thoughts looking at clouds and seeing the same shapes that we know we could turn into anything we choose this is where unicorns come from, I certainly believe. Those mare's tails at the end of the clouds that are pushing toward the east. They appear to be flying out behind the head and the body of the 
stallion who is racing to the west. But he's not. His whole body is on the southern edge of a swirl that is moving at its own pace, slowly relative to the pace of the 70,000 miles an hour or whatever it is that we and the sun are moving toward wherever we're moving or away from whatever we're moving away from. It's not just round and round and round and round, but it's round and round and forward. Life is round and round and forward. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down, but you're always going round and round and round and forward. And you can't ever stop unless you stop paying attention and you lose your balance and everything gets all out of whack, completely out of balance. Well, somebody touches you and it all, yeah, okay. Balance it out. It's a bubble balancing kind of idea. One of the other benefits of growing up on the cusp of the digital revolution. When I was a child, automobile tires were balanced on a machine that had a little Celtic cross in the middle of a bubble that was floating in probably mineral oil or some sort of thing that wouldn't rot or evaporate. So there was a circle that was a lens and on top of this lens was drawn a, a perfect right angle with a circle coming out from the center, dividing it into quadrants. And when you put a tire, a round automobile tire on there, and you put the lug nut holes where the lug nut holes were supposed to be and you jiggled it around and then you tightened it down and then you pushed on a pedal that it was pneumatic and that pedal would let forth a squirt of air that had been pressured down into maybe a sixteenth of an inch or smaller orifice that was going to hit a, a fan of some sort that was going to make this tire spin really fast. There was some kind of analog thing where you could tell what the RPMs were by by looking at it and you know however that one worked. It wasn't a digital device that you know measured electrons tripping triggers too small for our minds to even imagine. Just merely one force field striking another and ricocheting off in some unpredictable way that's predictable often enough to where I can say for sure one of those electrons is going to hit right exactly here and that's going to make this happen and that happen and we're going to have Rube Goldberg's explanation of the world presented to our children in a manner 
so far beyond the way that Rube Goldberg's vision of the world was presented to my grandmother in 1920 when she ditched Sunday school to go to the movies. She might have around that time, you know, seen uh, Steamboat Willie whistling along. The world changed when those window panes began to move and there were people looking back at us making facial expressions that had been taught for millennia by way of drama by way of masks that men wore but you know back let's say by the time of Shakespeare the masks were no more it was the actors on the stage taking on the role of the character that they were to play Falstaff was Falstaff and the Falstaff meme can be seen in just about any country bar you go into these days and it's looking to me like a lot of the fatter hipsters are going to go for the Falstaff meme somewhere in their life. Then, you know, there's Gilderstern and Rosencrantz and all the really, really snobby intellectual people. They can handle those references to Shakespeare just, oh, because they were taught that in school and they went to the kind of school where when you were tested, you were tested. You know, there's a big difference in the way that my friends who were educated in New York City, big difference in what they learned by the time they were 16 and what I had learned by the time I was 16. Same can be said for my friends who went to private schools in the West. Orm School in Arizona comes to mind. Those guys knew stuff when they got out of high school that I didn't know until a few years ago. Some of the things. But we'll talk about that in, in future episodes. You know, it takes a long time to get to be 70 years old. And during that time, a whole lot of things happen for which we should be sorry, according to some rules I've read or had preached to me or taught to me. Most of those rules, when you really look at them and you examine them, they come down to a concept of uh, manners is what I was taught or that I learned. I think via cultural osmosis, I learned that manners was the way that one was to act in public. Had I grown up in uh, rural China, I might have learned that Li, capital L-I, is the model for the sorts of 
actions we are to be having the responsibility to make. We are responsible to take action and make effects. We are to effect change. Well, how do we do that? Generally, we do it by touching somebody. And these days, we can touch people with our words in ways we could never touch them before. I can tell you about this beautiful red bird that just landed on the very top branch of an oak tree that grows down on the bottom of my property. The very top branch of that tree is in direct eye line, eyesight line. Like if I was a microwave radio and that bird had a microwave radio, we would be able to talk to each other. Bing, bang. But see, he has an eye and I have an eye. And he's a he because he's red. And he's just sitting there paying attention to me being here and I'm paying attention to him being there and that's all either one of us are doing. Just paying attention. Just paying attention. So there's this thread between me and that red bird that as the wind blows through the trees, that little breeze vibrates this thread between me and that red bird. And the song that I've heard is the song that you imagined, and we did this together. And you, because you were able to hear this, that means you have these technological, magical things that Magi imagined only we have. HD TV cameras and a recording studio in our hands and this amazing anchor software that you learning curve is not even there amazingly easy software to use and so far they haven't hassled me about money or anything so this is now the third episode of this podcast And this is the way they're all going to go. What's eventually going to come out of this thing is a history of me that I can see and say, yeah, yeah, that's what I learned up to now. God be with you. Adios.